So I guess we're back, or whatever. With this we're back. Real depressing podcast. Yeah. Okay. By the way, I know that some people might disagree with such a controversial topic that we've done today. If mm-hmm. you would like to start a conversation with me, or just send me hate mail. Uh, hate mail is still mail. Still mail. Um. My 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 email for Hunt's villain is hsvln one eight one nine at gmail dot com. So if and you that's th- on your WordPress too, right? It you is. can get a link to that. It is. So if you think I'm wrong, or I'm right, or you think I'm an idiot, or you're just gonna send me a bunch of stuff where you're talking about how Deep you're picks. gonna like kill my house, hsvln. <laughs> I'm going to burn your frog. I'm going to kill your house. I'm going to... All those vague threats that they're going to do for you. <laughs> I know, right? Real vague threats. But no, Yeah, I encourage people to do that just because, man, John O'Brien does the legwork. Trust me. If you if you just go on his blog, you'll see the, uh, the plugs to the census data and the other stuff. And... Uh, yeah, it's all it's all backed up by a lot of stuff, but uh, it's definitely a conversation. People need to talk about this stuff because it happened. It happened right here. And, Didn't uh, happen that long ago. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't like five hundred years ago. It was. Mm-hmm. It like. Yeah, two... there's there's a lot to learn, and plus, like like John's neighbor, go to someone who's like elderly in your family, and talk to him because they probably have a story that involves this in some way like some form of just crazy racial like oh but i thought we were post slavery and it's like yeah well the shit still sucked for everyone also uh you can just check out slavery by another name it's free mm-hmm. online it's a really amazing documentary um this guy named blackman went and found just really good documentary evidence of what was essentially the continuation of the slave system past 1877 mm-hmm. through uh, these very strict, strict laws. And speaking of strict, strict laws, mm-hmm. I have some from Huntsville. July 7th, 1828, right? Uh, the aldermen of Huntsville get together because... Things are going wrong. Oh, and for for a side note, I had to look up what an alderman is, but it's an elected official of some type that is, from what I read, usually ab- below the mayor at some level, but mm-hmm. still an elected official with authority, right? Is that how yeah. it is in Huntsville? Yeah. Back then, I mean? Well, at the time, um, for a really long time, Huntsville didn't have like a directly elected mayor. Mm-hmm. It had... A series of aldermen, oh, okay, like a bunch of aldermen that would get together, like a council sort of. Yeah, and they would like appoint one of them to be the executive official for like three months or some. Hmm. Yeah, so it was real weird. It was a real weird system. Yeah, based off of like prestige and right, who, oligarchy oh, yeah. system. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. July 7th, 1828, the aldermen of Huntsville get together Mm -hmm. because, remember, these are going to be a lot of reform-minded individuals, right? A lot of reformist guys, and 
they are wanting Huntsville, which has been this like frontier place. And that's something I keep going back to, but they're wanting it to become like more settled. Mm-hmm. Like they were more settled and a similar city to what they were used to dealing with back in the East. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, workmen violated, of, violated the Sabbath. The people of Huntsville taxed churches and fired guns into the air on days other than the 4th of July. Illegal liquor permeated every aspect of life, and whoever felt the urge urinated directly into the big, st- directly into the big spring. Also, the streets were in serious disrepair. So even in 1828, Huntsville is still like crazy. Just a wild place. Just, just a wild place. No one's going to stop you. Exactly. And so these reformists that have like gotten powerful over the... Uh, over the past decade, mm-hmm. right? They're not exactly Broad River, but right. they're like the second wave of hoity-toity immigrants to this area. And so they come in, they get power, and they're just disgusted by everything around them. And I really do want to talk about people pissing in the Big Spring. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been waiting for this one. Yeah. I swear to God it ties in. So... <laughs> Uh, it would just be like the middle of the day and someone would just be drunk as hell off of like cheap mm-hmm. whiskey and Some moonshine and exactly. And they would just start pissing into the big spring. Right. And so, uh, James Gillespie, Bernie, that one bright shining light from Huntsville, right? <laughs> he actually introduces legislation because he wants to, one of the things he tried to do was outlaw liquor, which did not go over well. Mm. But he did manage to fund public education in the mm. city for a little while until mm. they were like, this, this is dumb and socialist. And right. they didn't have a word for socialist yet. So they were just like, this is dumb. And <laughs> But he introduces a bill uh, focused on hygiene. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, hey, we will stop people from pissing in the big spring because that's where everyone gets their drinking water. Right, yeah. Not realizing that like, the water in the spring is probably going to be worse for you than 19th century urine. Mm-hmm. Like untreated 19th century water is going to kill you yeah. quicker than like a farmer peeing in a cup. Yeah. So anyways, at least it's been filtered by the kidneys. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Which is like a really gross thing to consider, but <laughs> Hey, that time that this dude's urine was cleaner than my drinking water. <laughs> Be thankful for your water, long story short. I mean, yeah, guys, uh, 21st century is best century. (laughs) So anyways, all this stuff. And his bill, there's two levels of punishment. There's punishment for free people and then the punishment for slaves. Hmm. And so the punishment for free people was like a $5 fine. And enslaved people would just be immediately whipped. Like, 25 times? Jeez. Yeah. And so, once again, bright, shining light. But they, they're they not like, oh, hey, we're going to find the owner $5. Right. They were like, we're just going to, like, beat the hell out of this guy. They just peed in the big spring. Mm-hmm. And it does kind of, like, play into this idea that um, there were just two different kinds of justice, which is like the most obvious freaking thing I've said all day. There were two different levels of like court participation and justice Mm -hmm. for 
people in 19th century Alabama, like, duh, John, it's almost like, get out my face. But (laughs) I want to talk about how, uh, that eventually translated into these restrictions and you start seeing Huntsville moving from this frontier atmosphere into this like more settled, normal Southern city place. And so we do start in 1828 with the same time that they introduced this law against pissing in the big spring. So ordinance 21 ordinance number 21 introduced in 1828 expressly forbade slaves from hiring out their own time or from living in their own houses. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what we see here is that based off of this very ordinance, slave life in North Alabama, uh, they would occasionally have their own dwellings. Right. Right. They would occasionally maybe rent their own structures and they would have their own free time that they would use to hire out to make money. Mm-hmm. Right. If you go and there's a book called 30 years a slave, it's not 12 years a slave. It's not the Oscar winning movie. Uh-huh. It's 30 years a slave by a man named Lewis Hughes. And he was actually a, an enslaved person in uh, Montgomery, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah. Like Southern Alabama. Mm-hmm. And he put together a memoir of his entire lifetime in slavery and he there is actually a really interesting section in there where he was talking about the ways that different enslaved people would try and make money. Yeah. He would he actually worked with the local sheriff to sell like cheap semi-illegal tobacco. <laughs> so <laughs> he was selling cigarettes with the law. Yeah, he was like working he was working with like uh, either an overseer or a sheriff. Mm-hmm. To sell like cigars on the DL, mm. and so that's one of these things. It once again ties back into this popular imagination that, like, oh, they were just worked from sun up to sundown, and there was never any rest, and there was no free yeah. time. And while that is definitely true for like some people that were on that were members of this plantation system, yeah the great majority of the enslaved people in Madison County, right? So 1828, 1830, 1840, there's still half the population, mm-hmm. but the majority of slave owner parasites, right? More majority of these assholes, um, owned less than 10 slaves. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually scarier to me than just a few big plantation Giant, lords yeah. mm-hmm. having just like a bunch of dudes off to the side because when there's that when there's that aspect to it of just a big plantation lord owning like half the county's population mm-hmm. then you can say that guy was the asshole right and there's like this like class thing that get that you get to muddy the waters with a little bit yeah and you see this a lot of day a lot of times today with uh southerners and they're getting reactionary and when you try and talk to them about slavery they get upset and they're like well my family never owned any slaves yeah but that's bullshit because in 1860 something like i believe a third of all southern families owned at least one slave wow. mm-hmm. right and so 
it's a much scarier thing because you realize that this was what essentially every like major yeah. white family was trying mm-hmm. to get to. And I know that I just went on like a big recursive tangent, tangential rant. I'm sorry, listeners, but coming back to it, it's not the slavery of the popular imagination is really yeah, what I'm trying yeah, to get at. Right. It's not like yeah, it's a, not the movies. Yeah. It's not a plantation Lord. It, I mean, they're, it's, they're, a, it's a small group of slaves working for a lot more people. Exactly. And it's still like half the population of the county, yeah. which is the part that's scary. Mm. It is just that like everyone was cool with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So ordinance 21. Um, all right. So, Whereas many persons are in the practice of permitting their slaves to hire their own time, right? So that phrase was in there, and this was a very, and you can, like, tell, like, this was a common thing. People were like, well, you know, I don't really need you for, like, the next month because we're in between crops. Yeah, there's harvest season, there's planting season, and there's all that. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, do what what you're going to do. Yeah. Be here when I need you, and other than that. Exactly. And it also um, also restricted enslaved peoples from having their own space. Hmm. So enslaved peoples sometimes kept houses for their own use and benefit. And the aldermen alleged that said houses often turns into brothels or hideouts for persons of ill fame, right? So to combat this, they introduced a series of very harsh fines on any... Uh, like slave owner that allowed the enslaved people that they owned. Gosh, like it's really difficult for me to just say slave, like mm-hmm. slave and master. Like it's still a very, like it hurts Yeah, because if you can like, it's kind of like using, it's, it's using euphemisms that use the same word, like using mm-hmm. enslaved instead of slave. But there's like this whole, I don't know. It's just hard. Yeah. It's well, just, it should be. I mean, it's it's a terrible it's a terrible stain on human existence really yeah like it's a difficult thing to say and that's Mm -hmm. okay but so they level they levied this like very harsh series Mm -hmm. of fines against any like slave owner that allowed their slaves mm, yep still hard all right that allowed their slaves to live on a separate property or rent from a different right, person. Yeah. So if you were so this uh if you were going to own someone's labor and them legally, you would have to like either let them live in your house, which was interesting because you know, sometimes then you uh get embroiled in some like very tense sexual relationships mm-hmm. and that would actually resulted in a lot of divorces. Yeah. A lot of really fun divorces that I got to read. And, uh, yeah. And actually, and this is speaking of, like, the tense sexual relationships and the divorces. Mm -hmm. I found 75, 77 divorces or something from, like, North Alabama. From, like, freaking, you know, the first one we ever found. Right. Like, the Ditto. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Catherine Ditto and then... Uh, all the way to the eve of the Civil War. And there was not one, not one, where a where an enslaved man was, like, getting it on with a white woman. 
not one where that was the cause for divorce. Whereas in North Carolina and Virginia, and um, this guy named Schwaninger, who's like the other guy that's really into divorce in the Southern United <laughs> States prior to the Civil War. There's two of us, right? Yeah, yeah. So, Your man. Yeah. So like Lauren Schwaninger, uh, his his research in North Carolina and Virginia, mm-hmm. he found that the majority of cases up there were like poor white men took their wives to court were because Mm -hmm. their wives had had like illicit affairs with like enslaved men or free men. And my idea is because North Carolina and Virginia also had the largest amount of free blacks. Uh, Okay. Yeah. So in Alabama, in Madison County, there's like 30. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. In Virginia, like if you in in Virginia, like seven to ten percent of the entire free population is free black people. Hmm. And so the very presence of free black folks undermines Mm -hmm. the uh, the concept of race based slavery. Right. It just completely undermines it. Right. Because you can be walking around all day. And people are like, well, you're a slave because you're black and you're inferior. And then you see like a free black guy who has like, or a free black woman or whatever. Yeah, that has property and money and maybe a way to make a living and all those things. And then you're like, mm, no, I think everything you're saying is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, right, yeah. And so um, this kind of ties back into it because eventually... Uh, Madison County was not only legislating what slaves could do, they were legislating the actions that free people and Mm -hmm. slaves could take with each other. Really? Yeah. And so we'll get to that in a second. And man, this is a big topic. Oh, yeah. It's holy shit. (laughs) All right. We have more episodes. Uh, more episodes. we, We do. We do. Let me get through these and then we'll have like a little... Talk it a talk talk, and mm-hmm. we can be, we can call it a day on this one. <laughs> and if I find some more stuff, I'll bring it in. Oh yeah, there's probably there's always right, going to be more on this subject. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's like half the people that live here. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, so, all right, so ordinance twenty one: slaves can't hire their own time. They mm-hmm. can't rent property or anything like that. Ordinance twenty nine introduced the same year. All right. So, remember, people were working on the Sabbath, this, that, and the other. Well, one of the things they were trying to introduce was, like, bills to... They were introducing laws that said, no, you can't work on the Sabbath. And so, they were they were basically legislating that shops had to close on right. Sunday. And so, in this ordinance, they specifically target slaves. So, all right. So, they said... Uh, Let me see. As many now be in the habit of selling the articles as aforesaid on the Sabbath. And the articles aforesaid are vegetables that they grew. Mm -hmm. And they had like extra vegetables. And they were like, I'm going to go sell this at the market and make some money and exercise my like inborn economic autonomy as a freaking human being. Right. Right. Or they might keep chickens and they took the eggs and they would like. And because on often 
the reason that they did this on the Sabbath because that might be the only day they had off yeah. there. And so instead of, you know, doing strictly religious stuff, they were like, I am going to go try and take care of myself. Right. And so they would be there and they'd be like, hey, guys, you want to buy this? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like a whole thing. All right. And got that. Same year, ordinance number 31. Enslaved people from the county were now required to carry passes if they're going huh. to stay the night in Huntsville. Mm. So this entire time, like if you were an enslaved person and you were like coming from a plantation or whatever, or like uh, another person's household and you had to, and you had business in Huntsville, then up until then you could just like stay in Huntsville. Right. You could be like no different than any other place. Yeah. I mean, you would, you would get like, you would probably stay with another slave person at like their mm-hmm. rented shack or whatever. Or maybe there was like someone who was smart enough to be like, yes, you can rent out a stable in my barn or something. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not exactly staying like in a hotel room, but you could stay in Huntsville without like a big problem. And then in 1828, people are looking around and they're like, oh shit, they're like half the county. Mm-hmm. We need to like restrict movement. So if you were found in Huntsville without a pass right. after sundown, well, guess what? You're going to jail. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah, and I'm soon, I assume that the pass probably came along with some sort of um, legal barrier or monetary barrier that, you know, I'm sure most slaves just don't have, especially since they're being financially, you know, shuttered essentially by the law. It seems it seems like almost just an outright like segregation. Like we just don't want the black folks in Huntsville proper. Yeah, we just don't want them there because that's where we got all our fancy buildings and our <laughs> legislation. Essentially, I mean that's very mm-hmm. true. And another thing that they would do with the passes, right? So it would be issued by like a white person or whatever. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times passes would actually have a physical description of the person carrying them because mm-hmm. this is before the days of like ID cards. Right. Right. So if you so like anything about you. Right. They'd say you got a scar on your ear or whatever. Mm hmm. And so that was the big thing about passes. And actually, a lot of historians have used that. And to kind of like reconstruct an idea of what the average free black person in like Virginia or slave person in Madison looked like. And well, not Madison, but Alabama or Georgia Mm -hmm. or whatever places where they had to carry passes. Interestingly enough, the other people that had to carry passes, sailors. Yeah. So, and not just because they were like. Didn't trust those guys either. They're just like. They're they're a little shifty. They're on ships. Constantly going from port to port. And like, oh God, (laughs) what's that about? (laughs) And so, um, the, uh, what was it? I did find a few uh, articles where people had managed to like reconstruct. Like, this is what the average free black person in Virginia looks like. Yeah, according to... Yeah, according to, like, all these different passes. Yeah, I'm sure they're pretty detailed. If they're going to be useful, they have to be pretty dang detailed. So they would, like, accurate measurements, Mm -hmm. or at least accurate enough, um, weight, right? Mm -hmm. 
weight, height, uh, like eye color. And then of course they would, they would record like, are you light skinned? Are you mulatto? Are you, Mm -hmm. because you know, like back in the day and even still some today, but I'm not going to get into that. There's like a lot of, uh, a lot of different terms for shades of human skin. Yeah, definitely. Once you get past like Greek, Mm -hmm. there's like a billion terms. And so, yeah, anyways, so they introduce passes and I really want to find some. Oh yeah. And be like, that'd be so interesting to see what that looked like. Oh my God. This one time I was in the archives Mm -hmm. and it was when I was like interning there and I found a bill of sale from this time period for for a woman named Mary and a 10-year-old boy named King mm-hmm. and her baby that hadn't been named yet because it was only a year old. And so, like, Mary was 31 and King was 10 and, once again, the baby hadn't been named yet. And I was like, yes, these people exist now. Right. We can tell a fraction of their story. Mm-hmm. And I had, like, put it down. And I came back uh, the next day because, like, the archives were closing in, like, 10 minutes. And I had, like, put it down. And I came back the next day and it was missing. No. And I was just like, and no one had any idea. They were like, I didn't even see it. So a janitor might've thought it was just, Oh no. Like a stray scrap of paper, but it's like this document from 1832 that proves that these three people were alive. And Oh my gosh. Tore my heart out. Like I'm still sad about it. Mm -hmm. Seven years later or whatever. Yeah, no doubt. All right. So, in 1831, we actually established in Huntsville the Night Watch. Mm -hmm. And so, as you know, we've previously had sheriffs and constables, right? But sheriffs and constables would just kind of, like, hang out at the courthouse until a judge told them to go do something. Right. So, this is... Night Watches are actually closer to a modern police force because they would actively patrol areas Mm -hmm. to try and prevent, like, crimes or whatever. Right. And in this case, crimes was a gathering of free black persons or slaves past 10 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if you actually look at it, most modern Southern cities, the founding of their police forces are like from the late 1860s or like right prior to the start of the civil war. Mm -hmm. And their police forces almost always like their first explicit duty was monitoring the local black population. Mm hmm. And like that's not even, that's not even like me twisting the truth, right? Oh like yeah, yeah. Because I read part st- of this blog post too, and I was like, yeah, that's just yeah. expressly <laughs> that that was the it's reason. Like, here is your orders. Yeah, like the city. Go, of- go find at least if there's two black people. That's warning signs. Yeah, drag them in or talk to them or interview them essentially. Like the city of Madison, uh, their police force was founded in 1868. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same year that Alabama was readmitted to the Union. So literally, Union troops are removed from, like, North Alabama. Madison, city of Madison is, like, glancing around, shifty-eyed, and they're like, okay, we have a police force now. Right. And they're there to monitor the black people. And everyone in Madison, all the white people in Madison in 1868 were like, yes, that makes sense. Please do that more. Mm -hmm. And so... Just saying, cops in the South, it's a sad, sad history. Yeah, yeah. All right, so 1831, we have the Night Watch, and Huntsville was like, bam. 
So the Night Watch, literally, they were established with the express goal to put in jail all colored persons, whether bond or free, whom they may find from their proper lodgings after the commencement of the watch. Mm-hmm. So as soon as the Night Watch starts, if you are a person of color, whether you have a whether you are enslaved or free or anything, you're going to jail. Out past 10, going to jail. Out past 10 o'clock, right? So they started their patrols at 10 p.m. every night. And they did have the discretion to leave free people of color alone. So if you were a free man and the night... <laughs> well, wa- but you can leave them alone if you want to. Exactly. Oh, gosh. So if you were a free oh. man... And if the Night Watch was satisfied that you were upon business, Mm -hmm. then you could leave your house. So if you had to do something business-related at 10 o'clock at night, Mm -hmm. you could go places. But only if you convinced the Night Watch. Yeah. Which is not not a... (laughs) Yeah, imagine going out of your house every every time at 10 p.m. Like, I better talk to the police real quick (laughs) and make sure they understand that I'm up to only good things. Oh my god. Let's hope That's they intense. believe me. Right. Right. Or I'm just going to jail for tonight. Yep. And this is just going to be a bunch of money again. Damn it. So All right, let me see. All right. So the night watch, all right, their job was to patrol the city and they also enjoyed the power to and this is literally from ordinance uh I didn't Was record. it 30? This is literally from 1831, the ordinance that was passed. So they Mm -hmm. enjoyed the power to enter any enclosures or houses where there may be any unlawful assemblages of persons of color. So to hell with the Fourth Amendment. Right. They can just straight up come in your house if they think that there's just a bunch of black dudes in the basement holding a meeting. Exactly. They look at a brick building like "Eh, it could be some black people in there. Bust in. All right, so all of that, right? And, of course, the 1831 uh, 1831 law is in reaction to the Nat Turner Revolt. Right. Right, where, like, every all these, like, dudes were like, I'm, I'm freaking sick of being a slave and dealing with all this bullshit. Let's go, let's, let's do it, guys. Let's rise up mm-hmm. in, like, righteous indignation. All right. And so, anyways, we have this 1837 law. All right. And the 1837 law is ordinance number 47. And it made it illegal for free people of color to hire out the services of the enslaved. So, we already have enslaved people are no longer allowed to hire their own time in Mm -hmm. 1828. Uh, Nine years later, right... And so a way that like a lot of uh, like slave owners would make money in the off season is they would hire out their slaves. They would be Mm -hmm. like, hey, do you need someone that can build a boat? Yeah. Because Richard knows how to build a boat. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is actually in uh, the autobiography of Frederick Douglass. He talks about he was like caulking ships Mm -hmm. for a bunch of time. And not getting paid anything for it. And his owner was getting paid. Right? Yep. And so, you know, and you would just like, you just rent somebody, essentially. And so enslaved people were, I'm sorry, free people were no longer allowed to rent enslaved folks. 
mm. which is like really interesting because it does go back into that thing I said earlier about Schwinninger and North Carolina and Virginia, yeah. where suddenly, oh, hey, they are directly undermining the caste system by their very existence, right? Right. Plus, they don't want them colluding, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So, like, the less contact between the two groups, the better. Except, and here's the thing, this is the only time we actually have a petition from an, from a free, from, like, a black person uh-huh. at all that I've found so far yet. I'm still digging. I swear to God, the moment I find one, I will just share it with the world. <laughs> but, so, the sad irony, the only direct petition by a black person by a black person to Madison County officials that I have from this period is a man named John Robinson appealed to the alderman of Huntsville to exempt him from the ban on like hiring slaves to work. Mm-hmm. Right. They granted his request because I guess he was like well-respected. Right. Yeah. And extended powers to the mayor because we had a mayor by 1837, uh, to exempt all other men in his position that the mayor deemed worthy. Right. So if you were like a well-respected free black person, you could get an exemption on this. Right. Because they were like, Oh, well he's not going to like cause a slave revolt. Right. But the only person who ever got the exemption was still John Robinson. Uh huh. So there's one guy Hmm. and that was it forever. Wow. All right. So Bam. Here's a paragraph that I wrote that I'd actually just stole directly from myself from the blog. I didn't like come up with a new <laughs> idea from this. But all right. 1809 to 1832 saw radical shifts in the demographics of Madison County. And as a result, radical shifts in the minds and propensities of the man, men who ran Huntsville, the county's largest and most influential city. They sought to strangle the limited autonomy that enslaved people enjoyed prior to the 1830s and make the population wholly dependent upon whites for shelter, food, and freedom of movement. As the attitudes of the city's elites towards black economic participation stiffened, so too did the penalties against any enslaved or free people caught outside of the ever-tightening snare. By the time that cotton monoculture arose as the primary and, and in many ways only economic activity of the Deep South, the black population of Madison County was already beholden to laws made of whips. And laws made of whips is like the title of the three-part yes, indeed. thing where I examine it. So Yeah, and give it a read. Yeah. Uh, if you just want to be real sad, go do that. And mm-hmm. I guess we're done, and I don't have anything funny to this, say. There's nothing much to say about that. But, um, yeah, thanks thanks for listening to the Hunts Villain podcast and to Spice Radio. And um, yeah, this is like this is an ongoing issue and a something that's there's there's so much history there needs to be discussed. So yeah, drop drop us a line at Spice Radio Huntsville at gmail dot com or through the Huntsville and blog. You can talk to John his self. Yep, I understand. It's a very very twisty and complex local sort of history. So H S V L N one eight one nine at gmail.com I swear to god I will get back to you unless you're just threatening to like kill my dog in which case I mean do it threaten to kill I don't have a dog <laughs> if they manage to do it then that's, that's something else it's fairly impressive <laughs> but I'm sure I'm sure you'll uh I, 
John loves census data, as he talked to before. So if you want to nerd out about some other history stuff or any history stuff, yeah, he's yeah, here for you. Yeah, it doesn't just have to be related to this. Just hsvln1819 at gmail.com. But yeah, thanks again for listening. The Hunts Villain is a podcast recorded at Spice Rack Studios in Huntsville, Alabama. You can find the blog Hunts Villain at huntsvillain.wordpress.com or Facebook slash Hunts Villain. That's H-U-N-T-S-V-I-L-L-A-I-N. The podcast is hosted and written by Mr. John O'Brien and co-hosted by Ben Job. Thank you to our donors and volunteers who are the sole supporters of Spice Radio. If you want to help support Spice Radio, go to spice-radio.com support. And you can find great local music and content 24-7 at spice-radio.com slash radio. Thanks again for listening, and stay spicy, Huntsville.